starting from verse 5b of chapter 1. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, over the next uh, opening weeks of the new year, we are considering what I've called a model startup. We've called it the blueprint, and the startup we're examining is not a new business or a craft brewery. We're looking at a church. We're in Thessalonica, and we're in the middle of the first century, around about 50 to 51 A.D., And Thessalonica is, in the first century, described as a second Rome. It's the second city Paul visited in mainland Europe, and he went there on his second missionary journey. And there, in what is today northern Greece and was then Macedonia, Paul preached in 49 AD. The letter was written a matter of months later, probably 50 AD, possibly 51, most likely from Corinth, just down the road. And unable to visit this church in person, and therefore unable to engage in his normal practice of revisiting young believers in order to encourage and establish them in churches and in their newfound faith, Paul wrote this letter. One city worker, big in uh, corporate social responsibility, said Paul is not a typical city investor he doesn't just chuck money at it and walk away. Well, that's his view and, uh, of, of uh, city investors. Perhaps it's a little unfair. He said instead he's like a hardcore venture capitalist getting stuck in and demanding a seat on the board. Well, this gives us a crucial gem of a letter. Paul was prevented from revisiting this key city. And I take what we ha- take it that what we have in our hands this afternoon is what the apostle would have said to the Thessalonians had he been able to return in person. You might call it his MO. This is the sort of thing he said when he went back and revisited churches in order to establish believers in their faith. That means that we can take it and, if you like, hold it up as a plumb line or a benchmark or a spirit level, a measure against which to determine whether our work and experience of the Christian gospel is something of which the apostle would have approved. The first three chapters are full of thanks. And the first prayer of thanksgiving, together with reasons for thankfulness, extend right the way from verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 12. The second prayer of thanksgiving, together with reasons for thankfulness, extend right through into chapter 3, verse 10. Paul only begins to tell them what he's actually praying for them by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 11. And so you might say Paul is the master mentor 
He encourages, he praises good practice, he highlights what is going well, he uses success to reinforce success. I wonder how we are with a new intern and whether we praise them similarly or how we are with teenage kids. Do do we encourage them? Constant praise. Do not exasperate your children, says Paul. Well, Paul, as a model mentor, practices that with his beloved friends in Thessalonica. And again, this gives us a crucial gem of a letter. What does it look like for our office-based Christian union to be healthy? If we're sitting on a church council of any sort, as a warden or an elder, what does it actually look like for the church to be going well? If we're looking in, investigating the Christian faith, well, what does it look like for people to be gripped by the truth of Jesus Christ? If we've just started as a Christian, Here is, if you like, a benchmark from people who have just started. Last week, three hallmarks, the work of faith, the labor of love, steadfastness of hope. This week, three more key areas in which the Thessalonians provide a model exhibit for us. So verse four, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Well, the impression of God's word verse 5, the imitation, their imitation of God's workers, verses 6 through 8, and the impact on their ways, verses 9 and 10. So the impression of God's word. That is, the preaching of God's word came in Thessalonica with great power, with the work of the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction all of which were evident both in the ones who spoke God's word and in those who received it. Have a look at verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel, that is our announcement, came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, I think these verses refer primarily to Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy, who spoke the word, and secondly, to those who heard the word. And so the importance of what was being spoken was deeply impressed upon the speaker, and then deeply impressed upon the listener. Now, if you were here with us last week, you may have wondered, where did the faith, love, and hope come from? And the answer is here, from the ministry of God's word. It's important we get clear what Paul means by our gospel came to you with power. And what I've done on the sheet there is to copy down for you a description of Paul's word work in Thessalonica. So back in Acts chapter 17, we read that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures He explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And we read that some were persuaded. So this word work of the Apostle Paul was a reasoning work, an explaining work, a proving work, a persuading work. And later, when Paul is in Ephesus, we hear that this ministry of explaining, proving, and proclaiming, and persuading is described as powerful refutation of those who stand against Paul. So when Paul says the word came not only, uh, the message came not only through the word, but also with power, 
It's the word that is being described that comes with power. You can see that in Acts chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, and 18, verse 28. The powerful work was word work. The word work was powerful work. And the word work came with supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enabled Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to speak the gospel, bringing the truth of the gospel into the lives of the listeners. And the Holy Spirit enabled the listeners to hear the gospel and to hear it as true and the message from God. Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again. Peter describes new believers as being born again through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We are blind to the truth of God's gospel until God opens our eyes. It was the Lord who opened the heart of Lydia to receive the word. And so it takes an act of divine regeneration for any individual to see, hear, understand the message of Jesus Christ. And if we're here today as somebody who has put our trust in the Lord Jesus, then God has been at work in us in power by his Holy Spirit through his word. And you can see in verse 5, they, they came with full conviction, came in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The phrase full conviction translates to hold a view fully. Not only did the preacher hold a view, the listeners changed their view. The classic understanding in the Bible of a person coming to put their faith in Jesus is what is called an irresistible call by God. And God works. He works in power. He works in power by his Holy Spirit. He works in power by his Holy Spirit through his word to change our view through the powerful explanation of the truth of Jesus Christ. And this is word work. The powerful work was word work. The word work was powerful work. And I stress this because some people get this slightly wrong. Because Paul mentions power and the Holy Spirit and conviction, it might be possible to focus on other things than the word. In fact, some people treat verse 5 as if it reads like this, our gospel came to you not in word, but in power, the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. But all these three things, the power of the Holy Spirit and the full conviction, have to do with the word of God's truth, the gospel message, at work both in the speaker who really believes it and speaks as if he believes it, and in the listener who have the truth then impressed upon their hearts and minds and lives. And anyone who has experienced a genuine call summons from God will be able to attest to this. I don't know what your testimony is. We heard the Christian gospel. We may have heard it many times before, but this time we really heard it. And we heard it as irrefutably true. And we became aware of a deep change within our heart and life. Here is John Wesley describing the change that came over him 
when this took place in his life. The date was May the 24th, 1738. It changed England, this event, ultimately, about a quarter before nine. While the speaker was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Well, have you had that impression upon you? Have we hadn't experienced that, that Jesus Christ really is Lord and that he died on the cross to bring about the forgiveness of our sins personally? Well, if we've had that and we've grasped it, then there's been a work of extraordinary power in our lives. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a work of full conviction. And it is a work that comes through the word of God. So F.F. Bruce, a famous Christian writer, sadly dead now, the spiritual power and conviction with which the message was received matched the spiritual power and conviction with which the message was delivered. But this powerful impression of God's word on the heart of speaker and listener alike comes then with a close imitation of the worker who speaks the word. That is, the Thessalonians began to copy their teacher's example, even in the face of great opposition and affliction. And we can see that now in verses 6 and 8. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. So these early believers, they imitate their instructors. The word is impressed upon them, and then they start to imitate the workers who presented the gospel word. And they imitate Paul, Silas, and Timothy, both by receiving the truth of Jesus with joy in the midst of affliction and also by speaking openly of what they have now come to believe. And there are two things here, aren't there? There's the reception. You received it with joy in the face of opposition. And there's the proclamation. Let's look at both of those in turn. Uh, Affliction refers to persecution. This is always the way when a person genuinely turns to Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, because Jesus commands us to turn from rebelling against God and living willfully in God's world without recognition of God, as a person then turns to follow Jesus, that act is always met with opposition from those who continue in rebellion. Have you experienced that yet, I wonder? Often this hostility comes from those who are closest to us. It may be simply low level, you know, an impact in our family or amongst our wider group of friends. But the person who turns to follow Jesus doesn't have the same loves and likes anymore. The person who follows Jesus has new priorities. 
There is a change, sometimes dramatic, sometimes more gradual. The person who follows Jesus has changed sides, plays for a different team, is no longer going the way of the world. And so friends and family and colleagues and associates begin to notice this. And there is frequently then affliction of some sort. It can be very unnerving for the young Christian, can't it? I remember one girl coming back, having become a Christian, gone off on family holiday, coming back after Christmas and saying, I couldn't, they were all so hostile to this new direction of my life. Remember another young man who is actually disowned by his family for a period of time. Sometimes the opposition is much higher level, and that appears to have been the case in Thessalonica. So Back in Acts 17, the Jews were jealous. They took some wicked men of the rabble and formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason where Paul had been speaking. And when they couldn't find Paul, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. Again, you might have experienced that. You know, these Christians, they don't follow the progressive agenda. Oh, these Christians, oh, they're bad for business. They're not actually. They're honest, upright, and hardworking. But these Christians, they're bad for business. Oh, these Christians have a different set of norms. These Christians believe there's only one God, and the only way to that God is through Jesus Christ. And so there's a bit of an uproar and a slightly more public opposition. But all of that comes as they receive the Christian message in affliction, do you see at the end of verse 6, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so there is a new settled assurance for the Christian that God is in charge of every detail of life. And there's a new quiet confidence for the Christian a well-founded security that comes from a person from from a person's newfound status. And the Christian realizes we have a new father in heaven who loves us. We have a new family on earth that embraces us. We have a new future beyond that awaits us. And nothing can take that away. This joy of the Holy Spirit that comes as we receive the Lord Jesus. We know where we come from. We know where we're going. We know what lies ahead. We know we're safe in the hands of the God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. Uh, Not the kind of joy of back-slapping heartiness. Not the fleeting, fast-fading joy of the latest thrill. I'm hoping to be at Twickenham for the Wales-England match, and I'm hoping for a resounding thumping for the opposition and a great thrill of joy. But it'll be gone. Solid joys and lasting pleasures none but Zion's children know. And so here is the Christian, and here is the authentic Christian who has received the gospel message in the face of great affliction, and yet nobody can take away that steady, settled assurance and joy. And this imitation of receiving is matched with an imitation of proclaiming that you can see in verse 8. 
Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in his God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Now, the phrase sounded forth there is the word for a trumpet blast or of a gong, and it's used of the roar of the sea or of a marching army and its sound. You can hear it far and wide. Thessalonica was on the great Roman trade route of the Via Ignatia. It had a seaport. Macedonia in the Roman province, in which Thessalonia was uh, the leading city, the word had gone out right through Macedonia, but down into Achaia as well, the rest of Greece to the south, Athens and Corinth, where Paul was writing from and had recently visited. And that's quite a reach, isn't it? Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. It's as if, you know, the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord has gone from St. Helens to the 62nd floor of 22 Bishopsgate, and from the first floor to the 41st floor of the Gherkin, and from the Sushi Samba in the Heron Tower, right the way down to the bottom and across, and up the walkie-talkie to the Sky Garden. It's just gone forth everywhere as these people have turned to follow the true God. And it's the word of the Lord that has rung out, the objective truth of the Christian gospel that has sounded forth and been gossiped and shared and proclaimed and declared as these Christians had traveled and talked and walked as they went. It's gone forth ever. It's like Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or WeChat Remember how as a small child you come to a pond, you couldn't resist taking a rock and hurt, maybe, maybe it was only me, I don't know, but I was there, I'm the only hooligan in this building, but you'd, you'd take a rock and throw it into the middle of the pond and then ripples would spread out right the way across. And what's so striking here is this second point of imitation, is that Paul commends the Thessalonians for imitating him and Silvanus, whose nickname was Silas, and Timothy. So it's right to say, as some uh, rightly say, that the apostles have a unique ministry as apostles. They are specially commissioned. Sometimes people inappropriately say that it's not the responsibility of every Christian to imitate this aspect of the apostles' discipleship. Uh, Receiving the word in much affliction, with joy, and then speaking it wherever one goes. The the Thessalonians became disciple-making disciples, and that is Paul's concern for every single one of us who says we follow the Lord Jesus in this building. If the word has come to us and been impressed upon us with power, with the Holy Spirit, with full conviction then we will receive the word imitating the apostles, both in our readiness to stand and in our refusal to shut up or be shut up by anybody. Now, we must draw to a close. I was hoping to do the next next verse. We really need a whole week on each three of the things that we find in verse 10, but that's going to have to wait and we'll come back to it next week. But as I was... um, Finishing preparing this particular point, the second one, I couldn't help remembering my granddad. He became a Christian, aged 33, 
By mistake, actually, he went to a meeting in Norwich. He was the only person in the village with a car. And, and uh, the, the vicar, who was a returning missionary from, from China, had arranged a bus to go to this big gospel meeting in Norwich. And he was the only person in the village with a car. And there were two people who couldn't fit in the bus. And so very cleverly, this returning missionary said, you're the only person with a car. Would you mind terribly if you and your wife came to the mission hall meeting? And anyway, he found himself in this meeting, having done the decent thing. And he heard this, what you might call, irresistible summons. The word was impressed upon his heart. That summer, he had erected on the village green a marquee. And he brought in a speaker, a person to speak the Christian message, and he arranged for the entire village to hear the Christian gospel. There's a mark of a person who has received the word. Why wouldn't you? I used to use the illustration of a global pandemic, and I used to say, imagine there were a global pandemic. Well, but imagine you had the antivirus. Here it is in this vial. The, actually, this is a jam of chili, chili jar of chili jam, actually, which might do... No, no, we won't get into that uh, sort of thing Donald Trump might have recommended. But uh, imagine you had the antidote. And imagine you just sort of kept it to yourself. It would be unheard of, wouldn't it? You see, the mark of the person on whom the word is impressed is that they then imitate the workers who spoke the word. They receive it with joy in affliction and they speak it and will not keep quiet. And may that be the case of every single one of us in this building and every one of our Christian groups so that the word goes forth everywhere across the city. Let me lead us in prayer. We do thank you, our Father, for providing us with this benchmark of your work, what it really looks like. We thank you for your word that by your grace comes with power, with your Holy Spirit, with changed minds. We pray, Lord, that increasingly every single one of us would receive it with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of affliction and would be empowered by you to speak it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.